Amen. Well, I'm excited to share a little bit more with you. Uh, during Advent, I, I like to keep my messages a little bit shorter and, and, and make them a bit more reflective. And, and my hope is that these messages that I've shared through Advent would be just a bit of a spark for you to start thinking a little deeper for yourself. Um, that it would be a spark for you to, to start digging in a little bit more and to really try to to reflect on where God is in the midst of your life, in the midst of this season that we're walking through. And today is no different. Um, today is, uh, I'll say more about this, but this sermon is not really fully formed in my own mind yet, so uh, I'm just letting you all know that. Um, and it's not because I didn't work on it, it's because I'm, I'm sharing some things that I'm like still in the midst of learning about and growing into. And, and I try to do that here because if I always just share with you things that I have fully figured out, then... Um, I won't have a lot to share uh, because I'm on a journey of learning and growing myself. And so I'm really, in this message, I want to invite you all to begin to think about joy, maybe in a little bit different way. Today is uh, what we call Joy Sunday or Rejoice Sunday. Um, in Latin, it's called Gaudete Sunday. Historically, Advent has been a fairly somber season, like throughout Christian history. Christmas is often very joyful, but Advent, these times leading up to Christmas, is often rather somber. It's a darker season. It's a time to confess and repent and prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming. You'll see we have purple. That's the color of Advent. Also the color of Lent, which is another time to confess and repent and really look honestly at our lives and our world. You know, the days in December leading up to Christmas, um, they... they continue just to get darker and darker. They become shorter and shorter. This is a fairly heavy season for folks. Um, for some, December is always a heavy season for you. Uh, maybe December is always a dark and heavy season just because of maybe grief and pain and loneliness that you feel um, during this time of year. However, on the third Sunday of Advent, many traditions kind of lighten uh, the load a little bit, lighten the spirit a little bit, um, we light a, a pink candle, which is always fun, and, and we talk about joy. You know, the past couple of Sundays, and really you could say well, maybe over the past many months uh, or even years, we've talked a lot about the darkness that we all experience, the darkness in our own lives and the darkness that is really hovering over much of the world right now. And to be honest, I'm kind of grateful uh, for Gaudete Sunday, for Joy Sunday, because I want to take just a brief moment to talk about joy. If you're like me, I imagine, uh, I imagine that maybe all of you, like, want more joy in your life. Am I wrong? Uh, am I right about that? Does, does everybody want more joy in your life? I also imagine that many, maybe all of you, feel like joy is often hard to find. For me, joy often just seems like it's just kind of out of reach. Like I'm reaching for it, and I never can quite get it. Uh, I don't know if y'all have that similar feeling sometimes. Perhaps you think of joy kind of like we talked about peace last week. Like it feels like a wonderful aspiration, but not very realistic, right, to talk about joy. Like maybe you think, man, I know the Bible tells us to rejoice and to be joyful, but that's not really possible. Do you know what I've been through? Do you know the pain and suffering that I experienced? 
Have you seen what's happening right now in our world and you're wanting to talk about joy? Do you realize our planet is literally on fire and might be uninhabitable in a few years and you want to talk about joy? Perhaps it may feel a bit naive to you to talk about joy when there's so much sadness and pain and suffering around us. Yet, once again, just like peace last week, our scriptures and our faith tradition teaches us that we ought to rejoice and that joy is possible for us in our lives. A few years ago, during kind of the height of the pandemic and the the quarantine that came as a result of it, uh, some of us read a book together, and I'll, I'll show you this book. It's called The Book of Joy, um, and it's a really fascinating book. It's, it's basically this guy, Douglas Abrams, kind of documented um, this experience where the Dalai Lama, great spiritual religious leader, and then Archbishop Desmond Tutu got together for an event to kind of talk about their different faith traditions and talk about joy. And so this guy documented this, and he has a lot of quotes from them and ideas for them, and they did this whole book to kind of honor this amazing uh, kind of uh, friendship that these two have developed. And so I was, uh, like many of you all, during the pandemic, struggling. I'd been coming out of a hard season, and then the pandemic hit, and I just wanted to read a book with you all because I wanted to try to find a path to having more joy in my own life. And so a lot of us got on Zoom, and we talked about it and, and really reflected on joy. I want to show you another book that I read this year, and I just recently finished. It's a book called This Here Flesh by a, a young author um, named Cole Arthur Riley. And this book is, is really profound. I need to read it again, honestly, um, because it's just deep. You know, it's one of those books where she doesn't use a lot of words, but she says a lot. And in this book in particular... Um, she has a chapter on joy. Cole Arthur Riley is responsible for this website, social media account called Black Liturgies. Some of you all know follow them or seen their stuff shared on social media. But she just has a profound way uh, of looking at the world. And, and she's a poet at heart um, and a deeply spiritual, uh, contemplative person. But she talked about joy also. And I've been reflecting over these two books the past week as I think about this message. Both of these books communicate a very similar idea. And it's that we can have joy even in the mess midst of this messed up existence that we're trying to live in right now. Even as we face heartache and challenges and loss, they both argue that we can have joy in the midst of it. Both books even argued that they don't believe we can actually have joy unless we experience and embrace the sorrows and struggles of life. That somehow joy is deeply connected to sorrow and pain. That somehow they go together. Now that may seem a little counterintuitive or strange, and it's still an idea I'm trying to enter into. And I think some of this we learn more just through our own experiences as we go through sorrow and pain and trying to find joy in the midst of it. But I'm beginning to think about joy a little differently than I used to. And just like I told you, some of these ideas are still a little half-baked in my brain. They're not fully fleshed out. But I wanted to share about what I've been thinking about lately. I used to see joy as kind of one emotion among many emotions. Like, I thought of it like this. In life, we have things like sadness and anger, frustration and fear. And we also have happiness and excitement and joy. 
It's just kind of one thing, and we'll experience it sometimes, and it's emotion that comes and goes. As we, you know, experience good things in life, we'll have joy in our lives. But now I'm thinking about joy not so much as like an emotion that comes and goes, not so much an emotional state, but more of like an enduring trait that we just have in our lives. It's more of a posture towards life, a way of being in this world. In the book of joy, the authors write, they say, how can we transform joy from like an ephemeral state to an enduring trait, from a fleeting feeling to a lasting way of being? Now, that's a deep question to ask right there. How can we move beyond thinking of joy just as this emotion that we have here and there to like really a way of being in this world, a way of approaching life? Can we think of joy as an enduring trait, a way of being in this world that really invites all the emotions and makes space for the full experience of life, a way that allows us to live more fully, more free, and more open to what life will bring us? Not an emotion, but a way of being. To be joyful isn't fleeting, but they argue it is an enduring quality that we can cultivate in our lives that makes space for all the emotions and all the experiences in life. Cole Arthur Riley, I want to share, I'm going to share a few quotes from both of these books this morning, but in This Here Flesh, she says this, and she says, there's so much that is worthy of lament and even of rage because there's a lot of awful stuff in this world. And she says, joy doesn't preclude these emotional habits but invites them. Joy situates every emotion within itself. It grounds them so that one isn't overindulged while the others lie starving. Joy doesn't replace any emotion. It holds them all and keeps any of them from swallowing us whole. Society has failed to understand this. When it tells us to find joy in suffering, it is telling us to let it go, to move on, or to smile through it. But joy says, hold on to your sorrow It can rest safely here. And she even argues that we can have a sorrowful joy as we walk through this life. She argues that joy is not just one emotion, but it's something that actually holds all of our emotions, the heavy ones and the lighter emotions. A joy is a way of being in this world that welcomes all of us, the weeping and the dancing, the anger And the the welcoming, the sadness, and the laughter. Can joy hold space for all of it? I'm curious if any of you all relate to my experience. When I'm facing challenges or going through a hard moment or a hard, like, kind of season of life, or I'm feeling depressed or discouraged, my gut instinct is to try to ignore those bad feelings and suppress them and just not deal with them. Does anybody deal with that sometimes? Um... I don't know about you all, but I have my numbing and distraction habits in my life. Um, I, you know, there are good podcasts out there that challenge my mind, but often when I'm listening to a podcast, it's just so I don't have to think about anything else, right? It's so I can just ignore the hard stuff in my life, numb myself, I'm scrolling on social media, busying myself with just random mindless tasks around my house, watching TV eating good food, you know, these are things often that can be numbing habits for me. My gut instinct when I go through a hard time or I'm stressed out or I'm overwhelmed 
is just to try and numb the painful feelings and ignore the challenges that I'm facing. But what ends up happening to me is that I feel less painful emotion, yes. I, I, can, I can suppress it fairly well. But I also feel less positive emotion at the same time. I don't feel as much sadness, but I also don't feel as much happiness. I'm just kind of like there, existing in the world. And I can say in confidence that I don't really have joy when I'm in that kind of frame of mind and I'm in that space in my life. In an effort to feel better, I actually live less and I have less joy. As a parent of a, a toddler, I'm learning that there are so many chores I have to do every single day. It's like I thought I moved past chores in my life, you know. Um, that was something for when I was younger. But no, I have all these things I have to do every single day. And Laura has all these things she has to do every single day just to, like, keep this child going, you know, um, in his routines and in his life. Um, so many things, so many chores every night. At night after dinner, we relax just for a very few minutes, uh, and then I have stuff to do before bedtime, cleaning, packing Kai's lunch, picking up, doing all the different tasks to make sure we're ready for the next day. And so often what I would do is just put in my headphones and listen to some mindless podcast or listen to uh, Kentucky Sports Radio or something, you know, just to kind of numb myself to all the things that are going on and just forget about everything for a little while. But lately what I've been doing more often is listening to music when I do this. And I'll put on my headphones, I turn up some music, you know, pretty loud in my headphones. And, and I don't know, like, it's, it, the music for me, like, takes me to, like, an emotional place sometimes. I don't know if it does it for you all. But um, recently, like, I've had some moments where I've literally, like, started, like, kind of crying as I'm doing dishes because of the emotions that I'm feeling as I'm listening to these songs. And, and these emotions just kind of that have been suppressed start to rise to the surface. One night in particular, uh, I was listening to this new album by an artist I like, Sufjan Stevens, and he, he came out with a new album recently that was really recorded, and, and it's being released in a moment of tragedy and suffering for him after losing his partner and, and uh, having this incredibly awful like medical diagnosis that's basically paralyzed him temporarily, and it's been a really hard season. And he has a song on his album called, Will Anybody Ever Love Me? And it's a deep song. Some of the lines, will every, anybody ever love me? For good reasons, without grievance, not for sport. Will anybody ever love me in every season? Pledge allegiance to my heart. Pledge allegiance to my burning heart. And as I listened to it, like, some of these, like, deep, suppressed emotions just started rising in me, you know? Um, and this desire that I have, that I think all of us have, for, like, unconditional love and acceptance just came to the surface and I just cried, feeling that deep longing for love and belonging and connection. And here's the fascinating part of it, though. In that moment, I also felt, began to feel this inward contentment and peace inside of me, even as I felt sadness. And then it moved into feeling more connected to myself. And then I felt more connected to others, like my wife, to Laura. In that moment, I started thinking about all the people that actually do love me in that way. And my mind moved in that direction. And in that moment, I think I truly felt joy. <laughs> like, I've experienced joy in that moment. I felt alive to the, all the range of things that was going on inside of me in that moment. The book of joy, we read, Indeed, the more we turn towards the suffering, our own and others, 
the more we can turn toward the joy. We accept them both, turning the volume of life up, or we turn our backs on life itself, becoming deaf to its music. And I love that. Like, when we accept the full range of experience and emotion in life, we turn the volume of life up. And I'll tell you, too often, my struggle is I'm deaf to life's music, (laughs) failing to find joy, maybe because I'm failing to fully live and to experience all of it. Our psalm reading for this morning comes from the lectionary, actually, for today, Psalm 126, and I want to read it for you. We find the full range of life's experience, lament, mourning, grief, and also dancing and laughter. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The poet who wrote this song remembered the pain and honored the pain. They remembered those times when they sowed in tears, when they went out weeping. But the poet also remembered the good times, the times of restoration and healing and laughter and happiness. And I love the way the Psalms, really all of the Psalms in Scripture, make space for all of it. Accepting the full scope of the human experience. Remembering and honoring the sorrow and pain, but also rejoicing for the healing and the freedom that was experienced and the hope of that freedom and healing that we will experience in the future. You know, when the announcement of Jesus' birth came to Mary and to Joseph, to the shepherds, I'm sure to the Magi, even to John the Baptist as he was in the womb of his mother, they rejoiced. They sang songs. They danced. They praised. They wrote music even in those moments because they were thrilled. They laughed and they loved because they saw that something good was happening. But also, even in the midst of the darkness that covered their land, they were able to rejoice even as they knew that they were facing incredible challenges around them, just living in the occupied land that they were living in. And I wonder if they were able to rejoice in that moment because they were part of a faith tradition of the Israelites that consistently made space for both, gratitude and lament, for praise and for protest. You may wonder why every week we do gratitude and lament every week because we want to make space for all of it because we know that that's what we need to do if we're going to fully Live. We want our faith tradition to be connected to the Israelite faith tradition where they make space for this. Psalm 126 is an example, I think, of this spaciousness that we're talking about, this holding of all of life. The Psalms certainly turn the music up louder to the full experience of life, the hard and the happy and the loss and the liberation. Cole Arthur Riley shares in her book uh, her favorite picture of joy from Scripture. And this is I think fairly profound, and I still need to reflect on this more. But there's a moment after exile when the Israelites return to their land. And they begin to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And there's a moment where they lay the foundation, and all these people around start rejoicing. They start singing songs of gratitude and thanks, and they're so thrilled because they see the foundation of the temple has been laid, and they're about to see this temple restored 
and built up once again. They were so grateful, happy, excited about this new chapter of their life together. Yet at the very same time, there were elders in the community who began to loudly weep because they remembered the the stories and they remembered the former glory of the temple and what it used to be like. And so they also held space in that moment for the grief and for the lament. They remembered the former glory. In Ezra, we read, No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. And Riley shares, she says, I've not found a better portrait of joy, sorrow and celebration all mixing together in holy cacophony, a collective so loud that weeping and laughter were made one, a sound so loud that it was heard by others, even those far away. So my thought that I want you all to think about this week is maybe the path to more joy is not just trying to focus on happy things, but it's actually living more loudly. It's inviting more of the life experience, being more open to both the sorrow and the celebration. Maybe joy is less about being happy, and it's more about being fully alive. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.